You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Jake Corley. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Welcome back to another episode of the Oil & Gas This Week podcast. You're listening to episode 183. Which Jake thought was 182 because he wasn't on 182, which was funny. How was 182? <laughs> you were in Denver, right? Jake, it was incredible. So we had an enormous turnout, a bunch of really good people. We had four sponsors for that show. All four sponsors were there in person. All four sponsors re-up for a year. So the next 12 months, we have the that one covered. We raised about, I think, about $3,000 for Oilfield Helping Hands. So it was an overwhelming success. And the weather there is to die for. I got up in the morning. I was going to go do some cardio in the gym. And I go, you know what? I'll go outside. And I'm walking out the door of my gym clothes. And the, the doorman at the hotel goes, man, I'm sorry about the heat. And Jake, it was 71 degrees. <laughs> and it's like you know it's just different part of the country but we, it was a great time sorry you couldn't make it you you need to make one of the next ones yeah unfortunately we were moving into our new office and so i've spent the last week yeah pulling like 16 17 hour days moving stuff from one office to the other and this is actually just another temporary office until our build up's done so we're actually temporarily on one floor above where we're supposed to be so we'll have to move it all again two or three months, unfortunately. But speaking of weather, yeah, it was like 108 degrees, 102 to 108 degrees those days outside moving a lot of stuff. We had a, we had a crew do a lot of it, but there was still a lot of stuff that we had to carry. So, Well, at least when you move for the second time, you'll be in air conditioning and you're going down a floor instead of up a floor. Yeah, it'll, it'll be a lot better. Yeah, speaking of a lot better, if you want to help us make the show a lot better, how's that for a segue, Jake? Sounds good. Go ahead and support the show. Leave us a review. We got one here right now by, oh, I love this one, Goo Goo Giddy Goo from the U.S. A great oil and gas podcast, great way to keep up with the news from around the world for experts or beginners. Keep it up. So if you want to be like Goo Goo Giddy Goo and get a shout out on the show, just leave us a review. It's the number one way to support this show all of our other shows, and all of Jake and Colin's shows. Y'all are getting ready to launch a new one, too, a women in oil and gas show, aren't y'all, Jake? Yep, flipping the barrel with Macy and Jamie, kind of giving the women's perspective on kind of oil and gas. I think it's going to be a big hit. Both of these ladies are very charismatic, and they have a lot to talk about. So um, really excited about that. Yeah, we wish y'all a bunch of success with that. So audience, go pay attention. Go sign up. I think it's what, another week or two y'all doing the grand launch of that one? I think we have one more week to go. Yeah. So, so go listen, people. A few days. Yeah. So go check it out. Yep. And so now it's time to get into news stories. And Jake, you got some good ones this time. We got some good ones. You know, we vowed a little while back. Well, I guess we didn't vow. We said we would try to stay away from politics, but front and center with the 2020 election, Democrats are out again. Climate change is kind of front and center and kind of on the top of everybody's minds. So let me just kick it off by uh, kind of quoting. I'm sure a lot of people have seen this. Elizabeth Warren tweeted something on September 6th. She said, on my first day as president, I will sign an executive order that puts a total moratorium on all new fossil fuels leases for drilling offshore and on public lands, and I will ban fracking dash, dash, dash everywhere. Sounds like she wants to ban it like across the universe. And so this has been shared multiple times in, in kind of my circles on Facebook and LinkedIn and stuff like that. And the response and the comments have been absolutely hilarious to look at. Yeah, so the first thing about this is she couldn't do it. <laughs> the bottom line is yeah. she couldn't do it. But the thing that we, you and I were talking about before we turned the microphone on is I just find it astounding that our politicians have been this far removed from reality. Number one, she can't do it. Number two, she has no idea what the repercussions are. And I think you're going to talk about that a little bit. 
Yeah, I mean, when you're talking about banning fracking, you're talking about, I mean, they keep saying carbon-free economy by 2030 or 2050, and it's not just Elizabeth Warren. It's it's her, it's Bernie Sanders, it's, I haven't really kept up with politics too much until this, this kind of popped up, but all of the potential candidates, this is kind of at the forefront of what their policies are going to be. So they're talking about killing every coal job in the country, every oil and gas job, all of the shipping jobs that do all the logistics on the oil and gas side. So they're talking about eliminating millions of positions is what they were trying to do. And not really, I think the just the amazing thing to me is, you know, you understand that politicians can't be experts at everything and they are far from it. There may be experts, maybe they're lawyers or maybe they're something else. They have special advisors that advise them on these things. So my question is, who is advising these politicians that this is a good idea? It doesn't even make any logical sense whatsoever. And they don't even know the implications of in the event, let's just go down that scenario, you ban, okay, you ban fracking right? And you, you completely put it into the oil and gas industry. What are some of the top implications that you can think of, Mark? Obviously, life as we know it pretty much ends or becomes extremely expensive. Well, one of the horrible, one of the things that would happen if this would happen, if this would be happening in the US is that all of a sudden we've given an, a ton of power to the other countries that have no problem producing hydrocarbons because we need them. We'd have to buy them from somewhere. So we'd buy them from the Middle East and from Russia. That's that. And for them to have a chokehold on us, like the Russia has a chokehold on Europe. I mean, that would be, that would be horrendous, past horrendous. Yeah, that'd be absolutely terrible. I mean, it seems like looking at the comments on Twitter and stuff, the number one thing that everybody's saying is like, this seems like a direct attack, you know, on the poor, you know, gasoline would be very expensive. You got to think about transportation and logistics and how almost all of this is powered by, you know, combustion engines today. <laughs> I, I just don't understand. And you look at also the state of, you know, the, the clean tech movement and renewables and stuff and the efficiency and just how much it absolutely costs comparative to the amount of energy that we can pull out a barrel of, you know, oil or anything from natural gas. And it just, yeah, it just absolutely makes no sense. And so we're going to see a lot of this. And I think there are certain states that do have a little bit to, to be worried about. New Mexico being one of those. Colorado's uh, another one. Colorado. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And stuff. So not only are they, are they saying that they want to completely kill that, they're also talking about completely a call to end all subsidies for fossil fuels, which currently is about $14.7 billion annually, including Deductions for intangible drilling costs, which as of right now, you can write off 100% of those amortized over, don't quote me on this, I believe it's like three to five years. Which by the way, let me, let me interrupt you there, Jake. This is the same tax credits and breaks that are given to any manufacturer in the US. Automobile, heavy steel. It's not that we're different. We're allowed to write off our research and development just like automotive is. And we're allowed to write off where we spend money and it doesn't turn into something that's worthwhile. We're allowed to write off a percentage that over time. It's no different than any other manufacturer in the US. Anyway, Jake, I wanted yeah. to clarify that. Yeah. And so they're talking about eliminating MLP partnership tax exemptions, low cost royalty and leasing rates on federal lands. A lot of this was also stuff that was proposed by the Obama administration a while back. They're also, they want to completely put a stop to Keystone XL, Dakota Access, Line 3, Line 5. A lot of these infrastructure projects that are absolutely essential, you know, to transporting hydrocarbons. So I really think this is an extremely ill-advised plan, obviously not very well thought out. They haven't really thought of the implications of that. And there is no, there is no suitable replacement or anything from anywhere close to handling all the issues that it would create. Another thing I think is hilarious is that Elizabeth Warren, I believe, used to teach at University of Texas back in the 80s. And their endowment fund, along with all the other public universities here in Texas, 
benefit greatly from uh, mineral rights that are leased in the Permian. Yeah. So UT's endowment fund is a $31 billion endowment fund, which has grown dramatically over the past 10 years due to oil and gas. Yeah. And you know, a couple other things too, now that I've thought through this, the only way they could legally do this would be to nationalize the oil and gas industry like other countries have, which means they would put the Exxons and the Chevrons and the Halliburtons out of business and the government would, would run the oil and gas industry. And, and you, they're, they're proposing it. I think Bernie Sanders was one of who's actually proposing it. Oh, you got to be too. kidding me. Can yeah, you imagine- Ending that completely and nationalizing oil and gas in the in the U.S. Can you imagine how many people would get hurt if our government tried to run this industry? Uh, geez, God, please, no if people. The, if you think the government is good at, at running anything, just take a trip to the VA. Yep. Look around, you know, and see if, if <laughs> that's that's all I'm going to say. And also, if you're going to propose that we should completely end oil and gas, try living your life without using any kind of byproducts of petroleum products for I don't know a week. And see how it goes for you. You know, Jake, you and I haven't talked about this. It's on my list of future podcasts is that exact thing. I'd love to have like a 48 hours, no hydrocarbons. And I'd like people to volunteer. Come on, we'd film them. I just want them to go 48 hours, just two days of no hydrocarbons in their life. I, I just want to see. I don't think me and Mike can make it. Oh, absolutely not. Uh, scary stuff. What's next? All right. So obviously there's a lot of doom and gloom in just, just the industry, especially in upstream. We know that midstream is doing all right. We know downstream is kind of booming. Wall Street is eating the unconventional guys alive. So we're seeing a lot more consolidations. We're seeing a lot more bankruptcies. So that's kind of the general theme of the kind of the next few articles that we have in here. We saw a major acquisition, obviously the bidding war for Chevron looking to come in and buy Anadarko. Oxy swooped in with a little help from Warren Buffett. They picked that up. So the next article is talking about you know some of the bigger guys we've seen. They're able to come into the Permian. We knew that they came in a little bit earlier than kind of when the shale revolution kicked off, they're kind of recoming back in and looking for some new people to scoop up because we know that they can they can operate these actually a lot more efficiently than at some of the, the major frackers. And so, according to TPH, we're looking at you know Pioneer Natural Resources or Concho. They've both struggled the last year. They think they would be a good fit for Exxon to come and scoop up, while somebody like a Shell may be looking at smaller players like a WPX or a Cimerex. But Based on the collapse in valuations that we've seen just over the last year and how severe they've been for some of the biggest shell players like EOG and Oxy, it's not unreasonable to think that they could also be kind of consumed as well. Yeah, it's really interesting to watch this from the sidelines. So, you know, if you're a big major or super major and you have all this cash and your capital efficiency is better than the smaller players out there, so you can make money where companies are losing money or breaking even in the shell plays, the longer you wait, you think the better price you'll get, which is true. But if you wait too long, stuff happens like the whole Chevron and Adarco Oxy things. You know, if Chevron would have pulled the, the plug on that deal, say a month earlier, I bet Oxy would not have responded. So it's an interesting, you know, wait and see what's going to happen here. But I agree 100% with this article on TPH there in that the super majors are now bidding their time to pick up uh, struggling operators and for their acreage and also for their people and for their wells. So, I, you know, you and I have been talking about this coming probably for a year. Year, maybe even maybe even a year and a half, and it's starting to happen, and it's it's just going to continue. It's just it's just the way business is being done right now. Unfortunately, you know, there's people that will end up losing their jobs because of these these mergers and acquisitions. But hopefully, these the majors can keep that to a minimum. You know, I've had a lot of conversations uh, lately with some some movers and shakers across the industry, and kind of the word on the street and the sentiment is that you know traditionally we've seen maybe a twenty percent reduction, twenty five percent reduction in workforce during a downturn like this, but unfortunately, you know, a lot of these guys believe it's going to be a lot higher, you know, seventy five percent plus over the next five years, and so yeah, I, I know that's scary, but you know, it kind of just 
the industry is evolving and we're maturing, you know, as we are, I guess, getting more, I guess, acclimated and, and kind of learning from our mistakes in shale and, and learning how to, how to, you know, operate efficiently and operate within cash flow. Yeah. That 75% number I think is, is way aggressive, but still, if you're, if you're in the upstream side of the industry, especially on land, pick up some different job skills, right? If you're a geologist or geophysicist, you've heard Jake and I say this a gazillion time, pick up some big data analytics skills. You know, if you're a roughneck out there, Go go to welding school. Go go learn how to weld. There's a huge demand for that in the entire industry. Same way with pipe fitting and machining, all that sort of stuff. And you you can pick that up at trade schools for not much money. So, and and that's not just advice to what's going on now in the oil field. That's really advice in life. And you know, this is 2019. In today's world, your job security is your ability to get another job. And I hate to say it that way, but it's the truth. That or you have a side gig. Yeah. As I mentioned, we're seeing valuations collapse. And a lot of these producers are now only worth about four and a half times their earnings compared to nine times about a year ago. You know, obviously, and I keep mentioning this, but, you know, the top, I think it was like top 25 or top 30 shale producers have spent, you know, $280 billion more than they've made in the last decade. And Wall Street's upset with it. And so that kind of segues us up into the next article. And so we've seen companies like Sanchez Energy, who was dominant for so long, Halcon, you know, obviously backed by Floyd Wilson, but you know, this is the second bankruptcy for them in three years. They actually have a chief restructuring officer, which I think That's is like scary when you have that on your staff. Yeah, it's like a permanent position at this point. And we've seen 26 other producers have filed for bankruptcy this year alone, already matching the 28 industry bankruptcies from 2018. And the numbers expected to rise because debt maturities, those who are looking for looking to cash in on shale revolution and making bets on higher oil prices ago are now looming. You know, 5.7% of all energy companies are rated with the junk bonds. And we're seeing more and more companies kind of defaulting on interest payments. One of those being EP Energy just missed a debt payment. They missed a $40 million interest payment that was due August 15th. And as of today, it still has not been paid. So companies like that, these are guys who are big. These are guys who have been titans for a long time and they're struggling. And so if these guys are hurting, we know a lot of the smaller guys are too. And so I would expect to see, you know, unfortunately, a lot more bankruptcies, you know, before the end of the year. Yeah, it really is interesting that they made those bets two years ago, what they thought price accrued would be now. And a lot of made the wrong went the wrong way. And so now they're having to pay back money that they borrowed that and they can't pay back even the interest on the loan. That is not a good place to be for a company. Now, I will say this much. A lot of them have entered the penny stock range. And I've been picking them up left and right because I have a longer term view on, on some of this. But but it's, it's, it's just it's not a good thing. Yeah. So in addition, uh, and I... I'm not trying to be super doom and gloom. We're just trying to be realistic and report what's going on. Obviously, there's bankruptcies, but all the firms are cutting budgets dramatically, which is a good sign, showing a little bit of capital discipline. We're seeing as much as 57% reduction in budgets compared to, to last year. So they're cutting budgets. Unfortunately, we're seeing more layoffs. Production goals are not as aggressive as we, we've seen, which is good because they've cons- most companies have consistently missed production targets. We're sitting at, according to this article at the time of writing, we're sitting at 904 working rigs, so down from 14% a year ago. I see that you know going down significantly still, probably going to be a good thing. We're in the middle of a huge shakeup. We're in the middle of a huge restructuring. You know, I think the industry is kind of coming into its own with unconventionals and a lot of things are going to change, but I think it's all for the better. I think so, too. And I think what, what where we're going to end up and, you know, the audience may not know this, but in the U.S. historically, most of the production has been done by small independent companies. And I would say by 2030 ish. I think it's going to be the majors and the super majors. I actually think Exxon and Shell are going to move themselves up to a, 
a new class, which I'm calling mega major, where I think they're going to be close to a trillion dollars each in, in valuation. And I think that's give them leverage like it's never existed before. And I think they'll happen by 2030. So let's see. Yep. All right. Not as much doom and gloom, but also kind of talking about the implications of you know the industry changing. Slumber's age CEO. They have a newly appointed CEO. I'm not even going to try to pronounce his name. He is outlining the new vision for the company. Obviously, if you haven't been under a rock in the last, I don't know, 100 years, Slumbergy is the world's largest service company. They're planning to redefine their focus. They're exiting unprofitable businesses, which is probably a lot of them, restructuring some units and placing more emphasis on returns. Good on you, Slumbergy. More companies should take your lead. But he was quoted as saying, the Slumbergy of tomorrow will not be the Slumbergy of today. The unique market outlook and regional dynamics, a clear mandate for capital discipline and the quest for efficiency and the growing energy transition will combine to create a new chapter for the company. So here's the kicker. And I absolutely love this. The company's new vision will focus first and foremost on digitalization. The future of oil and gas is digital, he said. Digital capabilities will enable the next leap in performance across the entire EMP value chain. Yeah. And, you know, they're doing some really cool stuff. They talk a little bit in this article about how they took their proprietary software and they made it open source. Holy bleep this out. Shit. <laughs> you know, it's I can't believe that if you know Slumberger historically, if you know they're cultured, that's what they did is they had proprietary technology they would get into the operators and then operators are basically hooked and in the last couple of years we've seen the operators move to a lot more open source which was unheard of 10 years ago there's no way a major operator would have had open source software in their tech stack and now they're doing it and so for slumberjay to open this up and allow people to sling code and make things better showing you that they're changing the culture of the company and then the other thing that i think we talked about months ago is how they're even doing their business development differently some of their tools right now like their wireline tools they're letting anybody rent them which means they're renting them to their competitors right and that's totally not how the service companies operate they tend to be fierce with their com competition not try to help them in any way other than maybe hsne type stuff and now they're letting their their competitors rent their tools because to slumberjay Revenue is revenue, and it doesn't matter if it's my people working that tool. As long as somebody's working that tool, I'm making money. So it just goes to show you how the, the culture's changing over there. And great job with their new leader, which I am going to pronounce as Olivia Le Pew, because I have that French last name. I know how to pronounce those names. But I really think they're going some places. Now, you watch, Jake. Watch Baker and Halliburton and poor Weatherford <laughs> try to catch up with us. Yeah. And so that kind of leads us right into the next article. And there's a couple different alliances that are forming between some of the big tech companies and some of the big OFS and ENPs. So we're seeing you know, partnerships with big tech, tech startups, innovative service companies merging of their data cloud and software applications on it with an emphasis on scaling their digital deployment. Equinor has been the first among many of international oil companies to seek out and form such alliances. They were very instrumental in setting up the kind of the, I don't know what it's called, like the ENP Blockchain Alliance or whatever here in Houston. Um, there's about 15 or so companies that are a part of that. And they were pretty much the founders of that. And so it's really cool to see. This article kind of dives a little bit deeper into, I think it's some of the, some of the subsurface data. I think they've put together a... So it's okay. So the Equinor is a founding member of the Open Subsurface Data Universe Initiative, a global collaborative collaboration between the world's most largest operators and service companies to define standards for an open data architecture for subsurface data. Wow. Yeah. And this article is really great. It's If you read through, Microsoft has mentioned a whole bunch of time, Microsoft Azure 
uh, platform is everywhere in oil and gas, and they're they're amplifying this, and they're they're basically doing stuff that just a few years ago you couldn't do, like internal high performance computing cloud. So if you're a big company, you can have high HPC high performance computing in your own internal cloud, which means your data scientists can use as much as they need and not more. And so it, it controls cost, but it gives you the HPC component. The other thing is cool is they mentioned Cray in here. Do you know Jake that I reached out to the CEO of Cray five years ago and told him. He needs to look really hard at oil and gas because it's coming and they have a need for high performance computing, which is what Cray does. And he discounted me. And I just think it's funny in this article, they're, they're back here mentioning this. So, you know, I've been saying this for years. The tech companies are coming in oil and gas for a reason. There's money made here. They're here to help us. There's been some shakeup. The former head of Google Oil, Jake, is now over at Microsoft. Daryl, I can't remember Daryl's last name. But that just goes to show you that Microsoft and Google and probably Amazon Web Service and Salesforce are competing for oil and gas business. And when the tech companies compete for our business, it's just good for everybody. Yep, absolutely. Two more articles to go. Sourcewater has announced a $7.2 million Series A funding, which is great to hear. I had talked to their CEO, Josh Adler, like years ago. I hadn't connected in a while. Josh, if you're listening, love to reconnect. So congratulations to those guys. The, the series was led by Bison Technologies and a whole bunch of prominent energy family offices here in Houston, Midland, Dallas, and Oklahoma City. So source water, I believe is, so they're elite, they kind of coined themselves as a leading provider of oil-filled water intelligence. So it's an online water kind of marketplace. We're looking at satellite energy. I think I could be wrong. I'm, I'm guessing they're kind of showing you where the different saltwater disposals are and what maybe transportation prices are and disposal costs and stuff like that. I've never actually used a platform, but I think this is great. We're seeing so much, so much movement and so much traction in the the oil and gas startup scene, it seems like every day there's somebody somebody else is getting more funding and companies are just absolutely blowing up. And so this is a great thing for the industry. Water's a hot topic. You know, as you know, most wells are water wells first and foremost, and then they just so happen to produce hydrocarbons as well. Uh, yeah. For these guys. One of the things I love about this is this actually came out of MIT's uh, venture program back in 2014. And it must be cool when you have a venture program and you see somebody raise a Series A that's over $7 million. That's just awesome. Yeah, that's really awesome. And then lastly... Uh, Actually, it's not lastly because we've got two more after this. It's almost lastly. Do we have two more after this? Okay. I didn't see those two. <laughs> I thought this was kind of funny. The I don't really follow sports that much, but I saw this. And I'll just start with a quote. The quote is by Dallas Cowboys owner Jerry Jones, which as most of you know, you know, kind of made his money in oil and gas. He writes, the way that you get $90 million to pay Zeke Elliott is to drill wells with Comstock in Haynesville. <laughs> I love it. So Comstock actually recently acquired Covey Park Energy at a deal valued at $2.2 billion, which I think they said it was going to double Comstock's production. But he said that that deal directly essentially paid for Zeke Elliott, which I guess is one of the most highly sought after running backs, uh, now the highest paid running back in the entire NFL. It's crazy, but but it's it's really cool. It's really cool that that connection between sports and hydrocarbons. If you think about the football uniforms, the pads, the astroturf, all that comes from hydrocarbons. So if Elizabeth Warren shuts down fracking, there goes Sunday football, everybody. <laughs> there it goes. All right. I didn't see these last articles. So you want to take the lead on these? Yeah. So the two things here I thought was really cool. So first one is this is a study by the EIA basically talking about 
the different energy consumptions of different markets in the U.S. So by state, by city, whatever. And my favorite part of this is entire study, which was came out just like the end of last year, which is the newest data, is that New York City, and they're the ones that complain the most about hydrocarbons, New York City the residential sector consumes more overall total petroleum related energy than any other state. So even though they dog us, they burn more of it than anybody else. Guess who's number two, Jake? Just guess. Mm, California. California. Another yep. state that dogs us, yet they use more than anybody. And Texas is actually somewhat in the middle as far as actually consumption. And we produce the most of it. So take a look at this. It's some great data. And then we have another story on SAS oil. If you don't know who SAS oil is, SAS oil is African knock. So they're a government-owned oil company. And they saw the benefits of what's going on with the natural gas boom here in, in the U.S. You know, 10 years ago. And in, in Lake Charles, Louisiana, they built an ethylene cracker. And an ethylene cracker basically converts natural gas to plastics. And so this is a whole article about the a local economy booming in Lake Charles because of this project. And it's one of 13 more that they're, they're standing up. So, you know, just big shout out to Sasol for seeing the benefits and the business opportunity here in the U.S. on a different continent they're from. Coming over here, investing money, hiring people, making jobs. Now this cracker's up and running about 50% capacity. Another couple months will be back at 100% capacity. It took Jake, they created 800 full-time jobs with that one ethylene cracker. And they created wow. 6,500 jobs when it was constructed, right? It gives $4 billion to the state of Louisiana every year, and then $20 million to local, the local municipality there in Lake Charles. So hats off, sass off for building an ethylene cracker in Lake Charles. The funny thing is, Jake, have you ever been to Lake Charles? You ever drove through it? I don't think so, no. <laughs> if you imagine refinery after refinery after refinery, that's what Lake Charles is. And it's just the thing I think is cute about this is they, they want to single it out. But if you drove by this, you really couldn't tell much of a difference between an ethylene cracker and a refinery unless you understand about the LNG trains. But you know, I just thought it was a good article showing the economic benefits of other oil and gas companies from other governments coming in the U.S. and investing time and money. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty awesome. And then it's time for a giveaway. We had a little bit of a lag time that I didn't know about. So if you entered this giveaway and you won, you may not have gotten your shirt for a month. My apologies. We had a, a disconnect logistically. That has now been corrected. But if you'd like to win your shirt, and this is really cool, it has on one shoulder, it has the OGGN logo, the other shoulder has IBM, and then it has a print of an antique pump jack on the very front. They're size for men and women. We spent some money. These are really nice and they're uniquely serial number. And Jake and I will use those numbers to give away some cool stuff very, very, very soon. Really simple. Go to the show. It's click on the, the link to go ahead and sign up. We give one away a week. What a lot of people don't know is if you don't win, you can enter every week. So people go enter. And then Jake, you talked earlier about the weekly rig count. So what is it? It was 904 from the article, I think. The, the article said 904 weekly rig count, which is not drilling info anymore. It's now Inverus. Which oh, that's rig- right. They went through a, a big change. That's right. I forgot about that. I'll just go ahead and go on record and say that was the worst rebrand I've ever heard in my life. But <laughs> it just sounds like Envious, right? Like, hey, look at us. Okay. Anyways, so the daily rig count from Inverus is at 924. Okay. So it's up from your article, which is a, a nice yeah. little trend. Uh, speaking up, speaking of up from the Oracle, if you want to join a street team where we ask you to volunteer and you're part of our, our global group of volunteers, go ahead and join. Go ahead and join the Facebook group. We have not been real active with that because, quite honestly, we've been busy. I'm going to start doing some live streaming on the Facebook group, and our other oil and gas host will as well. We ask you to volunteer an hour a week. 
it's really just helping us with our social media. And if you can't make that hour a week, we don't care. We know life gets in the way. And then if you want to know about all the oil and gas events that are going on, sign up for the newsletter. It's in the show notes as well. And then if you want Jake and I to come to your sales and marketing kickoff, it's getting toward the fall, right, company? So if you're if your sales and marketing team, if you're planning an event for the spring, for, your, for the kickoff in January or February, Bring Jake and I out there. We're much better than some clown, or maybe we are clowns. I don't know. But we can entertain your audience and, and do something that's really cool, including a live podcast. We've done that a whole bunch. So reach out to us. we be happy to share the details. First Friday Q&A, the goal is not to stump Jake and I. Submit your questions. We already got a bunch in for the next one. If we use your question on the air, we'll give you a big shout-out. And while you're online, go to the website, oilandgasthisweek.com. Give us your email address. We promise not to spam you. We actually haven't used those things for anything. But at some point, we'll start using that to notify our audience we do cool stuff. Like our 200th episode, Jake, we're getting close to our 200th episode. We're going to do something really cool. We've been invited because we're kicking off another happy hour in Pittsburgh, but we've been invited to do our 200th episode in Pittsburgh. That has not been fully baked yet, but it, if it happens, you know, this is we, how we'd let you know is you sign up and give us your email address. You ready to get out of here, Jake? Let's do it. All right, folks, remember, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. And here are the events on deck. Hey guys, this is Alex, and here are the events on deck for September 2019. We are bringing Oil & Gas Tech Podcast to the Internet of Things Conference in Houston, Texas on September 16th through 17th. Joining us will be CEO Marty Sprintson of Vantique. You can register online at iotandoilandgas.com. The Midstream Networking Golf Tournament will be held on September 6, 2019 in Cypress, Texas, and the dress, of course, is golf attire. The NOV Sporting Clays Tournament will be on September 20th, 2019 in Katy, Texas. Dress is casual. The Blockchain and Oil and Gas Conference is in Houston, Texas on September 18th through 19th. And the dress is business casual. That's all for September. Hope you guys have a great month and thanks for tuning in. Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil and Gas This Week podcast. A product of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasthisweek.com.